Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Ji Zhang, a culture writer and critic. This week we're talking about um, the series Good Lord Bird and another series, uh, Blood of Zeus. Um, but before we get into those... Uh, how are you doing, Pellen? I'm doing okay. I had two and a half donuts today, so I have a huge tummy ache because obviously this is what everyone wants to talk about this week, well, right? Yeah. How many donuts I've eaten? I mean, what kind of donuts, can I ask? <laughs> There's a pop-up in Brooklyn called Fan Fan Donuts. Um, really good. How about, how about you? How are you doing? Um, I'm doing okay. It is kind of funny how like I basically went from you know stress eating at the beginning of this week into celebration eating throughout the whole rest of the week and so it's yep. it just an excuse to to eat a lot really and i'm 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 happy about that yeah same um obviously i haven't seen a vegetable in about a week <laughs> so i'll guess i'll get back into that eat your fiber everyone everyone needs to take in their fiber and eat their vegetables yeah stay regular <laughs> But yeah, otherwise it was a real, a real nail, nail bite over a few days. Very glad to not look at network TV news for another four years. Same. Um, and that, good that stuff is weird. Like, is it, is it always like that? Like pundits, they just, that's just what they do for their jobs. They just chat shit. Yeah. For money, for a lot of money. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. And here we are, we're doing this for free, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, the perils of quote unquote democracy side. What did you watch this week, Felon? Yeah. So this week I watched The Good Lord Bird, which is on Showtime, which you, I know, I know, I'm sorry. If you don't have a subscription, you can just add it on Amazon like I did, but it is a mini series, which is limited. Thank God. Uh, if you are noticing a trend here with me, um, I'm always probably going to talk about a limited miniseries. Um, you love things that end. I love things that end. I really do. So The Good Lord Bird is a miniseries based on the 2013 novel by James McBride about uh, the lead protagonist being Henry Shackleford, who's an enslaved young man. In, in, in this miniseries, he's played by uh, newcomer Joshua Caleb Johnson. So he joins John Brown, the abolitionist, um, in his abolitionist struggle. And this is like set around the 1850s. Obviously, the, the, the novel itself is by James McBride, but he is an EP alongside uh, Mark Richards and uh, Ethan Hawke, my king of kings. Happy <laughs> birthday to him, by the way. He turned 50 this week. Oh, happy birthday. Um, love you, mate. And um, But yeah, it's essentially a kind of, I guess, a tragicomedy historical fiction. The reason why I wanted to watch it, I shit you not, is literally because Ethan Hawke was in it. <laughs> um, I don't think he is... Um, he's, he's an interesting figure in Hollywood and TV and whatever, just because I think he's had a really great second wind in his career that is honestly unmatched. I guess like now that he's getting older, he's getting more authority. Did you uh, get a chance to watch it at all yourself, Jenny? Uh, so I don't have Showtime, but I did find that Showtime uploaded the the first episode of this, like in its entirety um, on YouTube. So if you like me, want to get a taste of it, go to YouTube. Thank God. Um, so I watched the first episode and found it kind of, it's it's interesting in that the tragic comedy historical fiction, like the, the mishmash of genres is is really there and this sort of all the different tones and sort of uh i guess genre play in in one episode is is a little overwhelming and bewildering to me sometimes but also kind of exciting and interesting in other ways that's exactly it i think i think the thing that really 
drew me in to keep watching it. There's not really anything like it on TV. This is about a real person in American history. It's about a real event that happened. And given that, and given the time that it that it's depicting it, you'd think that it would kind of follow that, you know, that regular, I guess, antebellum style historical fiction um, feel of self-seriousness and, you know, the shit that your parents like. <laughs> uh, this is not that. This is extremely tongue-in-cheek. And... Like, honestly, that's, uh, this is the type of historical fiction that I like to watch. I think, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, it's not like we were any wiser as a human race back in the day. Like we, it's just stupidity over and over again, Mm -hmm. which is why I really appreciate the tragicomedy aspect of it. I'm, Um, I'm, I'm curious, Felon, what did you know about John Brown, um, before, you know, watching this? Fuck all. Okay. I'm not joking. I read before I started watching it I read the Wikipedia page of you know him and then that's basically my education on the guy I mean if it make if it makes you feel any better like as someone who went through the American public school like education system um I probably barely knew any more than you do like I remember John Brown being a essentially yeah. one or two lines in a in a history book and they kind of painted him as this like crazy crazy guy this abolitionist and was like he really he was really religious and he wanted to um end slavery and then that was and also yeah like he was wackadoodle and then that was basically it yeah and just in case anybody was confused the person playing john brown is ethan hawk and not to kind of keep complimenting him he's really good in this um i think he plays that character of of someone that is extremely earnestly like tries to be a do-gooder is a ranting mania and and, you know the the show itself kind of says that from the very beginning Mm -hmm. and in terms of who is saying that there is the narrator of henry shackleford that like that's the filter in which the the series kind of sieves its way towards henry shackleford is is in the book he's an older person that's kind of recounting his youth whereas in this tv show he's you know, speaking as his younger self. But yeah, like the, the the way that it runs through is that we start off with Henry being the person that takes us through it. You know, we start from him meeting John Brown and John Brown confusing him for a girl and then him not, he's, him being like, it, it just in order to like not anger him or not to kind of confuse him goes with it. So then he's just like wearing dresses for the entire series. Oh, I love. Does it become sort of a running joke? It's the whole way through. Oh, and I the, love and that. Like the, the, it's so good. And the funniest part is that everybody black can tell that he's a young boy, <laughs> and everyone white thinks he's a girl, which again, like, is you know such a great use of of um, comedy, especially when it's trying to kind of very lightly say something about how black people are seen, even kids. But yeah, so. How do you feel about narrators in, like, film and TV in general? I think they are totally dependent on, like, how well they are executed, which is, like, the cop-out answer. But, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know how it works for the rest of the, for the, rest of the series. Henry, uh, who, you know, John Brown, hears his name as Henrietta, thinks that the sack that he's wearing is a dress, then treats him like a girl. He is then called Onion as a nickname. So... We'll refer to him as Onion from here on out. So Onion is, he, the, the, the fact that he is that, that filter in which we see things through is actually what makes it so much more intelligent as a show. And the reason why this works so well is because it depicts, you know, from episode to episode, it depicts how messy historical events are. Mm-hmm. And, it's, it, and it showcases how much, even like the, the greatest historical figures or the ones that, you know, get into the history books, 
how problematic they can be. Basically, it's it's both with John Brown, it's with Frederick Douglass, um, who, yes, makes an appearance and is performed by Debbie Diggs. But it's all these people that, you you know, that that's what makes this show, I think, like a step above a lot of the, you know, the, the, the shows that have come out this year that are trying to like teach you something about history and trying to kind of tell you something about like how timely all the show is. Like Mrs. America is a perfect example of how that didn't fucking work. Because, you know, that was about the ERA and, and Phyllis Schlafly and it was trying to showcase her as someone that you can maybe understand but also is like obviously the villain and, and all the shit that was happening within uh, the women's liberation movement. Like it was so, it felt patronizing whereas this show does not feel patronizing in terms of what it's trying to say. Yeah, I like that point you make about like, you know, poking at the the lines of comfort and the messiness um because i a lot of the, the observations that the narrator makes looking back at the events that unfolded in his life earlier they are like really clarifying they're often kind of grim kind of they, they just point out kind of like an, an alternative history almost um so history as we know it's as it's recorded in the books it's recorded from like very limited viewpoints um you know very white male viewpoints uh, often the the sort of victors or dominant parties um but here even like you know as this narrator as this character is like saved ostensibly by john brown um still the narrator is like running his his thoughts in the background like pointing out the ways in which you know he was uncomfortable at times or he was in danger at times or maybe worse off at times or better off um but just sort of poking holes at all the sort of assumptions that one might normally have if you're presenting a, a kind of more traditional white savior narrative. Yeah, and it and it, I just love that even with that that theme of the white savior complex, it also does talk a lot about the nuances of what was happening at that time, especially when it comes to liberation, especially when it comes to revolution and revolutionary acts. Um, but above all, like you know, the fact that it doesn't exalt him, it doesn't turn him into kind of any kind of deity or like some figure that is above it all and that is never offered up you simply understand that this man has conviction by the buckets like he is so sure of his fight in this and i guess that is you know that is something that i honestly have always craved with regards to like you know i things that i believe to be righteous especially in the political landscape but with regards to john brown you know he's he's seen as like a silly guy basically he's someone that is yeah you don't know if he's losing his mind you don't know if he's just simply a crackpot you don't you certainly don't think that he's cut out for it like he does seem to be a man that is going to be squashed under the weight of whoever his opponent is which is obviously what happens but yeah it's it it, (laughs) i think the thing that is especially evergreen about this show in terms of the lessons that it's trying to teach you is that your faves are problematic um and they will disappoint you. So Doreen St. Felix wrote in her piece for The New Yorker reviewing this show, um, no measure of good intention can ever really bridge the distance between a white ally and his black comrades, quote unquote. That's exactly it. But yeah, um, I really want you to keep watching it because I can't wait for you to see the episode <laughs> of Frederick Douglass. Um, he has, you know, his wife and then he has a mistress, which is a true story, Yeah, which is nuts. And I, I didn't know that. But yeah, they, re- they really... They poke holes in Frederick Douglass and it's just, again, it shows you that in times of struggle, in terms of political strife, no one leader is perfect and no one leader can ever be the, you know, the pure savior that you need. Um, 
but yeah the, the thing the thing about the show though also like if once you keep watching it there's an ep- in episode four they go to canada to recruit soldiers for the for the movement and john brown gives a speech that really showcases why people felt moved by him why he became such a historical figure but that speech it made me cry and the reason why it did it speaks to something in in you as like if you have this <laughs> the same way i do it speaks to you in the same in the sense that like we don't have time and we don't have space to reason with people that refuse to see humanity in other people and just the conviction of someone talking like that um really resonated with me especially because I was, I was watching it like the weeks following up to the election there's something about that and there's something about that kind of revolutionary speak that kind of makes you wish that you know democrats had a backbone and that they would fight up for you and be you know take a little bit of john brown's energy and pepper it throughout their policies but yeah it's just you know american history history it's it's evergreen all of these problems are evergreen and that's kind of sad yeah and the cycles history is one big wheel All right, so now that we've handled John Brown and, and Good Lord Bird, what did you watch this week, Jenny? Uh, so I watched Blood of Zeus, which is an animated series. I guess sort of like an American attempt at, you know, anime. Um, it's on Netflix. First season is only eight episodes, 30 minutes each, so pretty quick to run through. Um, but essentially, it's a spin on Greek mythology. Um, creating this sort of new myth or demigod who his name is Heron. He has to save Olympus and the human world from this big dark threat, which is like a tale as old as time. Almost so many of these like hero myths. Um, that's basically their entire job. So, um, Pellin, I think you watched a couple episodes of this. Is that right? I did. Yeah. Which uh, shows that I love you because <laughs> I really don't watch cartoon or like any anime i didn't grow up on anime i have a husband that did and you know i've seen hunter hunter but in terms of like tv that is a cartoon i really struggle with it and i i understand when something is good i get it but it's just i it doesn't catch my attention so you know jenny doesn't watch horror and i don't watch cartoon or anime so just so you all know that's um even exchange yeah um Wait, yeah, so- I, 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 I guess I guess I watched it and yeah, I wasn't sure on it. I wasn't really sold on it in the, in the first two episodes that I watched. I think that's um, a fair reaction and I, I'd i say that probably extends throughout the, the whole eight episodes, honestly. Oh shit, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, obviously I watched that and I kind of wanted to talk about it this week, but I'm not sure if I necessarily recommend it or if I do recommend it, it would come with some strings attached. Um, yeah. so just a couple caveats. Yeah. So some of the pros, um, obviously if you are into, you know, animation, anime cartoons, um, I think some of the art is pretty good. Um, character design, when you eventually get to, uh, ascend to Mount Olympus and see all their take on all of the, the Greek gods and goddesses, that's kind of fun to see these different new visual interpretations of them in this very sort of like anime influence way and the series i should add is like it i guess quote-unquote adults animation series so yeah yeah there's a lot of knife and broken bones and blood and whatnot a lot of violence a lot of blood pretty like soap opera ish in a lot of ways um play really plain to i guess what is 
you know, in Greek mythology, the the gods and goddesses, they these Olympic deities, they were not like infallible beings at all. They were very petty and flawed and squabbled like humans. So this kind of brought out some of those elements. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So those are sort of the, the pros. But there are a whole lot of cons to sort of weigh it down on the other side, um, which I'm sure you noticed, Pellen, but the writing was not that great. The plot is kind of weak. Um, There's like a serious lack of character development, except for probably the villain who, you know, gets fleshed out a little bit more than anyone else. Um, And above all, it's just kind of not fun to watch, which is wild for something that is like the premise is an adult animated you know, Greek mythology drama. Um, it's just like, yeah, not, it's kind of a slog to get through despite the, that premise and the, the short runtime. Yeah. If it's trying to be an adult cartoon, like dude, you, you have to step it up, especially in the year 2020 where like adult cartoon is, there are so many heavy hitters that have such loyal followings, which is, you know, obviously who knows what was going on through the green lighting process. Maybe they thought this would appeal to young adults. It's certainly giving me like eight to 10 year old energy in terms of um, who would find this interesting or gripping. But yeah, 31 year old me was not hooked, bro. Like, yeah, yeah. I was. I've got to say, I've got my pro. Another pro that I I could probably add on is Uh Heron is hot, dude. (laughs) Yeah, like in terms of character design, he does actually look like he's like you know, a ripped ancient Greek dude from like, you know, an ancient vessel, like pottery, the unearth from the ruins of yeah. Pompeii or something. Yeah. But yeah, what else is there with Greek mythology? Yeah, that's sort of the, the wider question that, you know, this watching the series made me think of, which is why aren't there more contemporary sort of high budget Greek mythology epics, like in the style of Game of Thrones, like something HBO kind of prestige, or even just like, Anything that's a little bit more uh, mainstream and has more resources to pull off these really fun stories, which there are so many, like there's, there's so much to mine in sort of like this, this canon of literature and, and storytelling. Yeah. Especially, especially considering the fact that storytellers are not completely beholden to the, to the thing that they're trying to retell or recreate. Like you can take parts of a story and then just go absolutely nuts with however way you want to tell that like I think Watchmen is a really perfect example of like taking IP and just kind of changing Mm -hmm. it and turning it into something that is is together but also very separate of the 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 source material that it was based off of and you can easily yeah you can easily you have like a spate of characters to pick from from Greek mythology and like in terms of you know psychological motives and character development like you can go nuts man yeah like what what I would like to I like to think of it as like essentially fan fiction like the, exactly yeah. yeah like having which is evidently what this this series i guess what they try to do by like creating this whole new um you know myth cycle and, and demigod and set of characters but not very successfully here but yeah in the like the the pro, the plus of something like greek mythology is that huge audiences are really familiar with a lot of these characters and these themes and some snippets of stories here and there um, of course, like it's hard, I think, for creators who want to make their own thing. They're like, oh, if I get locked into just retelling the story of, of like Hercules or like Jason and the Argonauts or something like that. Um, but fan fiction, like, of course, like you said, like take some of that existing mythology and like canon and stuff and really just come up with a whole world of your own. 
like Percy Jackson, which is like this, um, I guess, children, young adult sort of novel series that got turned into like a bad movie. And I think they're trying to revive it as like a TV show. That's like an example of like basically creating fan fiction with these characters, but in a more successful way than Blood of Zeus. That's like the way to do it. And I'm really, I'm honestly shocked that there are not more attempts to do that with Greek mythology right now. Um, I know there was like, there was stuff in the nineties, like Xena, Warrior Princess. Did you ever? My first crush. Okay. Yep. I was going to ask if you ever watched that, Bella. And I was like, I think you would like Xena, it. Xena, the Warrior Princess was my first female crush. 100%. <laughs> I think I found out I was by that day for sure. Yeah, you're right though. Like Hercules, especially like I remember the, the McDonald's toys. Yes. Hercules. The yeah. the plates, like I think I I, yeah. I saved those plates from for probably like a decade before we finally stopped using them in my family. Oh my god, yeah. But yeah. you know you know what's interesting? I think like I think Oh Brother Where Art Thou, the Coen Brothers movie, is like a really good example of that because that was the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. That's a good way of doing it. Like you just take that story and you just turn it into different time and place. And but yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I was like trying to find this answer to see if anybody had written about this. Like, why aren't there more things having to do with with Greek mythology, with um, you know Roman mythology, Egyptian, um, ancient Egyptian sort of mythology? And I couldn't really find any like you know definitive sort of publication pieces or anything. But I did find people speculating on Reddit. What some people were suggesting is like the way that myths, these myths, and like heroes' journeys that they used to to work. Um, Maybe they don't appeal to what modern viewers look for in their heroes nowadays. Like, Mm. what if, you know, you're presented with a story where there's a hero you want to root for, but in the end, it's like everything that the hero does, all of his actions are controlled by by gods and goddesses and like sort Mm. of higher powers. Does that... They have no real agency. Yeah, Yeah. they they have no agency. Does that... Would that actually still appeal to you as like a viewer? Mm. Um, So there has been like a sort of resurgence in Greek epics and mythology um, and actual literature. Like there is the Odyssey translation by Emily Wilson, which is kind of a a first in terms of there being like a a contemporary female-led translation of this this great um, Homeric epic. There was like Circe novel by... um, Madeline Miller, which is also kind of like a remixed fan fiction esque like spin on what this ancient figure in Greek mythology was like. So I think there is a lot of interest in this. It's just I'm I'm just like kind of telling HBO right now. I think you would have a lot of viewers if you greenlit something like this that was essentially fanfic remix, um, high budget epic style of Greek mythology that. Did not take itself too seriously, but was still, you know, kind of prestige and and fun at the same time. I think they're turning Cersei into a series. Oh shit! Really? Yeah, on HBO. Okay, well somehow yeah. that's what I, I that had to Google it because I yeah, as you were saying that I had to Google it because I could have sworn I I heard it. That's good news. I'm kind of excited about that. Then thank you for letting me know. Yeah, Jenny, look at you. You know what's going on. You know what the landscape needs. <laughs> Uh, yeah, hire me to tell you what the landscape needs more of, um, based on my own personal opinion. Okay, so that is what we have watched this week. Um, now for some culture notes. Um, obviously we have to keep talking about the election, but we don't actually want to talk about the election. No. So we're going to talk about all the actual fun things Slash just like badge things from the election. What do you want to start off with? Bella? Well, first off, I want to say how quickly everyone forgot about Kornacki. Uh, <laughs> remember him the, from two the days tooth, ago? 
Yeah, like the two, three-day thirst. Other than that, I think the thing that I'm really having fun with is uh, figuring out what these pricks are going to do next, the outgoing family and also cronies. What, what, yeah. what, what do you think? Who, who, who do you think is uh, going to make the first move? Well, I think Ivanka and Jared are definitely going to try to get back into uh, society. I think Ivanka might somehow be successful at it. Like, there are always going to be people who want to let them on the covers of the magazines, who want to get them on Dancing with the Stars, who want to give them the space, they, all the space and sort of platform they they don't deserve or need. Um yeah. It's going to fucking suck when it happens. I also can't wait for the Taffy interview with Ivanka. I feel like that's for oh sure going to happen. I definitely want this to be stopped, but it's not going to. The Donald Trump, uh, Joe Rogan podcast episode is going to be a whole mess. That's definitely happening. If it doesn't happen with him, it's going to happen with Trump Jr. I could see Trump Jr. I don't know if, I don't know if Trump knows what podcasts are. Rudy's going to croak. Thank God. That's my prediction. I think Rudy's going to croak in like six months. Please, if you have any self-restraint at all and any pull within, I don't know, culture, politics, education, whatever, do not let these people back in. Um, I know they're going to be let back in anyhow, but like, please just like hold on a little bit longer if you can. Cool. So that's what we're watching. If you are watching anything that you think we should check out, let us know at criticismisdead at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a newsletter with show notes and other shit with criticismisdead.substack.com. Uh, you can also just at us or DM us at criticismisdead, one word, on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to look for us, I'm sure you can find us. Um, as always, thank you so much for listening. Um, we appreciate your ears in your hearts and your souls please rate review on apple podcasts and if you have a friend who you think might enjoy this podcast uh you can let them know too and then you can like talk about it after you listen to each episode together that'd be cool too yeah you can both debate about which one of our voices is more annoying please do that thank you (laughs) see you next week criticism is dead is produced by pelin keskin lu and jenny jijong our music is by rika Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Luke.